Welcome to the Inspiring Educators Podcast, a space where you can let go, learn, laugh, and be inspired. Let's first begin with introductions of our Inspiring Educators. Inspiring Educators, introduce yourself. Hey, everybody. It's Lila Noor, the educator motivator, coming to you from Bakersfield, California. This is temporary. Who knows where I'll be next time? Um, You know, I'm constantly moving. That's just what it is. I'm currently a Master Learning and Grading Instructional Coach. Um, and I am your favorite vulnerability advocate. I love talking about vulnerability. I love getting into it. I love advocating for your own self-care. That's me. That's what I do. And, you know, in conjunction with that, we like to talk about what we're grateful for. And if you ever have the, you know, the desire, you want to talk to us on any platform about what you're grateful for, you know, about this podcast itself, feel free to hit me up on any social media platform at Miss Lila Noor. That's at M-S-L-A-I-L-A-N-U-R. But back to the gratefulness, right? I want to talk about why I'm grateful just because I'm constantly trying to reposition myself to think about the good pieces in life and to really, I'm retraining my brain. Like that's really what I'm doing, especially, you know, when I have this opportunity to talk about gratefulness, I'm retraining my thought process. And on this episode, I am grateful for how I've been able to reposition myself to give and receive more love in my life. I've let people go. I've added people in. And with that, I've been able to kind of create a whole different aura, a whole different space and feeling and vibe around myself that just feels good. You know, when you, you know, start changing some things, you got to shake some stuff up, right? And I do that, I've done that, and it feels good. I'm just giving more, I'm receiving more, and that's what I'm grateful for right now. Shout out to Bakersville, whoop, whoop. California, yay. Y'all know I've never been to California. I got changed. Slipping. Like, that's wow. one of the states that I've never been. I know y'all been multiple times, my co-hosts, but uh, I've never been to California. I got to get out there. Anyway, hey, y'all, greetings to you. Coach Jay here. Coming live from the ATL, Atlanta, Georgia. Jadrian Grimes, business operations manager at one and only North Metro Academy of Performing Arts in North Atlanta. What I'm grateful for today is purpose. Simple and plain and as simple as it sounds. One of my favorite Bible scriptures is, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. I tell people all the time. Two of the greatest days in your life, I think Mark Twain said it first, the day that you're born, that's important, but more importantly, the day that you find out why. When you find out why you were born, that's when purpose is given to you, and truly when you understand that your influence is used to impact people regardless of what your purpose is, that's when your life truly happens. So I'm so excited about purpose on today, and thank y'all for tuning in to another episode of this is your boy, Dr. Christopher J. Childs, your favorite teacher, favorite teacher. Lila, you won't believe this. My favorite teacher called me and said, guess what, Dr. Childs? You my favorite teacher. So I guess I'm my favorite teacher, favorite teacher, favorite teacher, favorite oh, teacher, favorite teacher. You can find me on all the social media platforms at DRKChilds, D-R-K-C-H-I-L-D-S. Hit me up on all the social media platforms that are out there and the ones that have yet to come. I am grateful for J-O-Y, joy. If you remember the movie, one of my favorite movies, Coming to America, he's like, Joy. That's what I'm grateful for. Not the person, Joy. I have colleagues named Joy. So no offense to you, Joy. 
but I'm grateful for joy. As the old song says, after all the things I've been through, I still have joy. Hot topic, hot topic. Here's my big question on this episode. Why are schools open during a pandemic? Depending upon when you're listening to this, Google the words pandemic, Google the words COVID, you'll find the time frame I am talking about. But right now, as we record this episode, schools are still opening. And my question is why? Pandemic school clearly is not working well, especially for young children. We keep seeing that in all the headlines. But I'm going to give a newsflash no one wants to say. School wasn't really working well for younger children or any children prior to the pandemic. It just, you know, kind of got exposed. But, you know, people are going to tweet me and say, oh, you said that out loud. Yes, I did, because I'm sick of the rhetoric. And I call it rhetoric. School isn't working. School isn't this. Where were you people before the pandemic? I'm just saying. But I, I'm going to turn it over to my co-host. Your thoughts. Why are schools even open during a pandemic? What? So I just want to clarify, like when you say pandemic school, not working. You mean those schools that are currently open and trying to modify around this pandemic and still teach in person. That's what you mean by pandemic school, not the virtual piece. Or are you including the virtual piece as well? I'm going to say any school that's functioning during this time period, however we want to define school, virtual, face-to-face, hybrid, mixed. That's what the headline is saying. That You think about the headlines are saying, School isn't working. That's what all the headlines keep saying. They got to be face to face. This virtual hybrid piece is not working. I beg to differ, but you know, I'm just curious in my co-host thoughts who are expert educators in the field in different parts of the country. Man, so you know, it's interesting. I follow somebody on Instagram. His name is Alfred Shivy Brooks. Call me Shivy, and he said something. He posted something the other day that says, "If you can get an Ivy League degree virtually." why is it that we can't teach our students virtually? Why are we forcing this in-person thing? And a lot of it is because people are trying to hide. Oh yeah, send the kids back to school. Because if we do that, that'll fix everything, right? That's what's not working. Like send them back, send them back, send them back. But like Chris said, this hasn't been working to begin with. Let's just be clear, right? There are people still just trying to do exactly what they did in a classroom virtually. That doesn't work. <laughs> we five people are trying, like, there's some struggles with doing things virtually. We, we see the access gap, right, with even just trying to provide students the resources they need to be virtual. But I mean, I, like, let's just be honest. Like, we're talking about we're in, you know, it's a pandemic. Pandemic. I don't, I, you know, maybe we need to look that word up. People are suffering, dying. We're talking about something that people are getting from breathing on one another and you still want to go sit in a box with other people. What I like to call a Petri dish. That's out. I don't get it. I don't understand the force, the pressure. Maybe Jay can speak to it because I know out in Atlanta, we had some hybrid going on. We had some full in person. What's that about? So I will preface this with this, that you two are, are well more qualified than I am from a curriculum and instruction standpoint to drive this point home. But from where I sit, especially from an operation scope, but just being human and just what's innately in me, if I need to be at the house, we need to be virtual. The number one priority should be uh, health and preservation of life. That's my opinion. Don't shoot me. That's what it is. We're dealing with a pandemic. 
What I see, this is a part of history in our lives right now. This is something that we have to get through. Keyword, get through. I think we're up to what, uh, 300, 400,000 deaths now. I think if that's the number. The number one priority is health and preservation of life. I think we have to come together. And again, y'all are way more astute in the curriculum and instruction piece and what this looks like. Look, it's new. It's new for everybody. But are we doing the absolute best job that we can within every organization to make sure our young people are getting what they're getting virtually? What's our plan? Because honestly, bringing students back in the building, we're congregating people. It's more people. How does this virus spread? The more people, the higher likelihood that it is to potentially spread. And I think there are excuses that are made on one segment to where, honestly, you hit the point where it was kind of jacked up before we hit the pandemic. I agree somewhat. But are we really giving everything that we have as educators, as the powers that be, as whoever, the people that are making the rules to make sure that we can make this happen virtually. Honestly, it's, it's still new. Like it's new. Who has all the answers? Like we're almost a year plus into this thing coming up. But I think it boils down to each individual person, each individual educator, each individual decision maker. Are we doing everything that we can do to make sure that virtually students are getting what they can get? My opinion, that's what it boils down to, because there's so many other excuses on the other side that saying we need to go back face to face. We need to do this, whatever. I'm going to throw out something crazy to the audience and feel free to push back. The whole point of this is discussion. What if when the pandemic hit, we 100 percent shut down school, virtual, in-person, everything for one year? We took that one year. No school. Teachers still got paid. I know a lot of people going to jump through. Oh, my gosh. Teachers still get paid. We still provide high quality lunches for students. But in that year, we sat down and redesigned a better school system. Think about at the end of that year, whole new world, reimagined education. Because no one, people know it and no one wants to do anything about it. This is an antiquated model. The whole 180 day calendar, the whole you only go to school to 12th grade. The whole you're sending line, uh, lines like a factory. This old model is crap. So before the pandemic, the crap wasn't working. And yes, I'm saying it wasn't working. It's not working during the pandemic. And contrary to popular belief, it ain't going to work after the pandemic. Studies are showing around 20% of students that are doing virtual school. Think about the number of students that are doing virtual school. Studies are showing 20% of the students don't even have access to technology. What does that mean? 20% of students don't even have what they need to even do school if they're in a virtual environment. Thus, the whole stupid model is time to address it instead of just, I get it. Like some people actually just need daycare during this time. I totally get it. I support those parents. We can open up the daycare centers using the funding for those parents during this time. But what are we doing to think post-pandemic to make it better? I get, oh, we're surviving. We're doing this. We got all these excuses for what we've been doing. But at what point, what point does someone have the guts to say, yo, this crap ain't right. Let's fix it and make it better. One easy way to make it better, you're around school. I'm going to throw down the table. You know, and it made me think of it. We don't even mean to do this sometimes when we, we sit down and we collaborate and we say, what's the hot topic right now? 
But it goes back to our last episode, setting boundaries. Have you had the capacity? Like, do educators feel comfortable enough to say no? Some have said they have felt forced to get back into the space, back into the classroom. People are quitting. Educators are quitting their jobs, regardless of how much we love it and how much, you know, it's given us life over time. And the piece that dawned on me also in this moment is that I know Chris and I know him being, um, I know the way he thinks. And he said, why are schools open in a pandemic? He said, any school. So Chris, my thought is, and I could be wrong. Are you saying school in its entirety should not be open? Because you said earlier, when you clarify for me, you said virtually in person, because we've also had the conversation about school having this traditional brick and mortar kind of thought process. Or when you say school, are you talking about school altogether? Interesting. So pretty much to your point, it's everything else has advanced. Technology, you know, hey, back in the day, we didn't have social media. It wasn't prevalent as it is now. Even other jobs and industries have transformed to make themselves better and operate at a greater capacity. So you're saying everything pretty much except education. And folks, the powers that be haven't sat down and said, okay, maybe K-12 or 180-day schedule doesn't work holistically for everyone. Or to the other point, where are some models throughout the world that's actually doing this and doing it well? Are there any organizations or districts throughout the world that are actually doing pretty. And what does pretty good look like? What does success look like during a pandemic in education? I guess. Ain't nothing going to give. We keep doing what we've been doing and keep getting what we've been getting and keep wondering why we keep having the same problems. Schools are not designed to educate. Schools are designed to make students assimilate. I've said this on previous episodes. Schools are not designed to educate. They're designed to make kids and the program kids to assimilate in a system, a system that was never built for them. They were designed to assemble into a system that's going to keep the 1% the 1% and keep the 99% the 99%. Poor folks to poor folks, the rich folks to rich folks. And no one is going to challenge that system. No one's going to challenge those pieces. And if we did, we would not be having this discussion. We have to rethink what is the purpose of school. And we have to be honest and going forward and changing it for the better. Final thoughts. See, I knew, I was like, I felt it in my gut that Chris was going to hit us with one of those shabam shawams, <laughs> um, just to, by the way, he phrased it and followed up. And, you know, we've heard this suggestion about the year-round school multiple times. And the more I sit and I think about it from the perspective of just me as an individual, take out the fact that I'm a teacher, take out the fact that I'm a daughter or sister, whomever. I think, you know, actually as an educator, I need to be actively engaged year round because I feel like when I have this, you're in a constant cycle. It's almost like when you're constantly working out or you're constantly meditating or you're constantly journaling, like you're doing these things consistently, you see improvement over time. In that time, we don't know what that time frame is, Right. But then we take these three-month breaks and we do whatever during that time. And I know we've talked about the learning loss and all that good jazz during this time. 
And the problem I see with us being able to sit down and say, hey, yeah, let's switch to year-round school or something else. People aren't, they're just, no one wants to agree on anything. And that's the problem. Like no one wants to sit back and say, you know what, this is going to be for the betterment of all kids, not just my kids, not just the kids that look like me, right? Not just the kids in these areas that already have these resources that are already thriving and doing well and are being successful. Like we see in our communities for our brown and our black kids and our lowest income communities, school already wasn't working. School for sure ain't working right now. And like Chris said, when we get back, school still ain't going to work. So what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we about to change? What's going to give? Spot on, spot on, spot on, spot on, spot on. I think it's time to look at the entire system. Hmm. You bring up a very great point. Lila's made some incredible points. Wild. Especially, I lean on y'all when it comes to the curriculum and instruction because that's not my, you know, wheelhouse. I'm on the other side of this. But everything else has transformed. If I look at every other industry throughout time, and even in our young ages, as we matriculated through life in college and now in adulthood, every other industry has made significant changes to come up to the point that we're at in life, except education. Now, on the other side of that, I am one for, hey, if we are going to continue this model, and uh, A, I will say it is what it is. I think everybody should be at the house learning virtually. I think it takes the community to come together, what that looks like. I don't have all the answers, but it takes, you know, another favorite quote of mine, it takes a village to raise a child. That's what's needed right now. (laughs) If everybody doesn't come together, it won't work. Parents, admin, teachers, brothers, sisters business partnerships, everything. We all have to come together to make this work, even if it's the best way that we can make it work possible during this time now. And at the end of the day, this is something that we have to get through. Either we're going to be resilient and get through it, or either we're going to make excuses and we're not, which that takes an extra mind state to get there. And there are other variables that play into that from politics, and finances, and all this other stuff. That's a whole nother episode for another day. So I'll stop there. I think about when you say the word system, it just sounds so big. You know, it just sounds like it's just so much going on. And you have to ask yourself, like, where do we start? Where do you actually start as the teacher, as the educator in the classroom? I'm not the superintendent. I'm not the principal. You may be the principal listening, right? You may be some of those things, right? But we don't have that many. When we talk about the number or the ratio or the proportion, there's way more teachers than there are any of those other people in those other positions that are higher up. What are we, what are we going to do? And when I think about that, I want to frame it around anti-racist teaching strategies and pedagogy in which all students can succeed. And if you start to look at everything you do in your classroom, everything you do at your school site as a principal, as an assistant principal, as a superintendent, as a teacher, as a teacher's aide, as a coordinator, as a counselor, whomever you are listening. And if you sit down and take every single decision you make and start sorting them, is this anti-racist and will it allow every single student to succeed, an opportunity to succeed? Sort it. It's a yes or a no. It's no in-between. There's no gray area with that. There is no 
oh, well, you know, we say it's kind of racist. So you can't be racist. No, nah, it's either racist or it's not. And it's going to allow students to succeed or it's not. That's where we start. That's where you start and you reflect on the things that you're doing in your space, in your classroom. In season three, if y'all have not noticed, my listeners, we are going in. So what will you do? Question of the episode. What will you do to challenge the system? How do you want to define it? What are you going to do to challenge it? What are you going to do? And if you don't know what to do, go back and listen to what Lila said. And she's going to tell you what you need to do to do what you got to do. Close it out, Jadrian, with the six seconds of inspiration. One of my most favorite quotes that I live by from one of the greatest people that I've known, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. If you don't know, that's Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., one of my favorite quotes. And automatically, every time I see that quote or think about that quote, I automatically think about leadership. To me, an enormous part of leadership is being able to adapt and continue effectiveness while you adapt. It's so much going on right now, so much loss, whether it be life, whether it be skill set, whether it be from an educational standpoint or whatever. But you as a leader, whether it's your household, whether it's professionally, whether it's personally, what are you doing to continually be effective? Again, it's not pre-pandemic when everything was good in so many people's lives. It's how are you able to adapt and continue to be effective now uh, when things aren't so well for a lot of people. We're blessed beyond measure if we look at it. If you're listening to this podcast, you're blessed beyond measure, regardless of what you may think, because you're here and you're listening, and we thank you for that. So think about that as you matriculate through the rest of your day, through the rest of your week. How effective are you being every day? I truly believe that we're putting in a position to where if you have any type of influence, it's meant to impact people. How many people will you impact today? How many people will you impact this week based solely off of your influence? This has been the Inspire Educators podcast. You know where we at. New episodes coming. We're taking over season three, and we're going to show y'all how to do things. We O-U-T. We out. What you going to do? Out of here. Season three. Like the way it's done. Until next time, stay reflective, stay positive, and stay inspired. What up?